Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the hash on Coindesk TV. And if you are listening to us, you are listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jensen Assey. On today's show, we got Wendy O, Adam V. Levine, and Will Foxley. Who has the first story? I believe it is you, Adam. It is me. Good morning, Jen. Today, we're starting off with inflation or the rate at which prices across the economy are going up. And spoiler alert, it's pretty quick. New numbers out this morning from the Consumer Price Index or CPI rose a whopping 9.1% in June, accelerating from May's 8.6% pace to a fresh 40-year high. But to put those numbers in perspective, the way that official inflation numbers are calculated has been changed at multiple points since the 1980s. This chart, which we should put up now, comes to us from Shadow Stats, run by John Williams, one of the only economists who's maintained analogs to the older methodologies. So the chart we're looking at right now really says it all. The red line is official inflation from 1980 through today as we measure it today. The blue line is that same data, but interpreted consistently today, interpreting it the same way as we did in the 1980s, the last time we had such high inflation. So if you think inflation is high today with the above 9% annual reading, take a look at what that blue line shows. We're actually at all-time highs and above 15%, according to these older methodologies. The new data suggests that the Federal Reserve will continue monetary tightening conditions aggressively as part of their public efforts to reverse this decade's uh, high levels of inflation. Uh, and I think there's a lot to dig in here, but let's just kind of get straight to the conversation. Wendy, kind of what do you think about all of this? I'm not a fan of inflation. I'm not a fan of these numbers. I'm not a fan of any of these type of reports because all that they are, it's a bunch of data that is used to manipulate the masses because people look at it and they look at mainstream news and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But they're really not seeing how bad it is. And the chart that you just showcased really showed how terrible and how high inflation is. And again, I pay a lot of attention to what's happening in different communities where I live in LA County. Stores are empty. People aren't buying as much. I went out with friends the other night. There was nobody on the freeway, which is really, really bizarre for LA County. And in regards to how this is impacting the crypto markets, I think one of the reasons why we tumbled, we saw a lot of weakness with Bitcoin on Sunday when we covered the Bitcoin weekly close. But we also are seeing people just kind of 
I don't want to use the term freak out, but I want to say a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines and they're not really interested in participating in any type of investments because we don't know how much higher inflation is going to go. And we don't know how much more money is going to be printed. We don't know what exactly our public servants are going to do to correct this. And it's kind of a time of uncertainty. I know me, I'm very excited to be hoarding some cash, to be hoarding some Bitcoin. But at the same time, it's I'm still very, very nervous of what is to come in the near future. The interesting thing to me just bring up what or riffing on what Wendy was saying is like, where do you put your money right now? Right? Like inflation's tough. So if you've been keeping a nest egg of cash because you're waiting for like the market to drop, a lot of people were doing that. They're looking at like housing, they're looking at car prices and they're choosing to sit on their cash for quite a while. Well, then you're down, right? 10%. Uh, that's a pretty tough place to be if you're just holding cash or can move into equities, right? Well, that's not doing very well either. Precious metals really haven't moved that much. Bitcoin. It's not been a good investment for quite a while. So that's a tough place to be. And then even the bond market, it's like, well, am I really going to bet on the US being able to fulfill its huge debt promises? It's a tough place to be also. There's nowhere good to be during an inflationary environment because the underlying currency you're using is weakening. And it's, it's just like, that's how it is. That's the tough place with inflationary environments. Whenever we look at this and we look in the past as like our corollaries, we can do my little history moment. I think we got to wipe for it somewhere. Then you can see that all these central banks have a tough time making changes to get out of them, right? The 1970s, stagflation. What was the end of that? The 1980s, price hikes for uh, and interest rate hikes, where interest rates were pushed almost to 20% for quite a while. And that was the only way to get out of this. It was a huge recession. Saw similar things in the 90s and even going back further, 1920s, 1930s. You had to make some very large changes to get out of these environments. Uh, so I think a lot of people who are looking at the macro trends are waiting for some sort of shooter drop somewhere else to get us out of this picture. But as far as I'm concerned, I think we're going to see inflation going for quite a bit longer. Jen, I'll throw it to you. And then Wendy also has some thoughts. Yeah, I, you got to stick with me because I'm going to start with a quote from the cult classic office space. And it's one that I think of every time I read about inflation. Every single day of my life has been worse than the day before. So that means every single day when you see me, it's on the worst day of my life. This is how I feel when I read these inflation numbers. Every single time we read it, it's the highest it's been in four decades. And there's, there's kind of no solution in sight. Yesterday, we spoke briefly about the job market and how it remains strong. Wendy, to your point, you brought it up earlier on the show. You brought it up Yesterday, there are these numbers about the job market and what analysts are saying, what people in the, in the media are saying is that the job market remains strong. People are still spending money. But when you go out into the stores, Wendy, you recognized it in, in Los Angeles. I'm seeing it here in Canada. The stores are dead. Products are on the shelves. Salaries only increase at what maximum 7% a year. That is not filling the gap. If we look at the price of goods at this time last year compared to the price of goods this year, there is an extraordinary increase in the things we need to live every day. Gas for our homes, gas for our cars, food, chicken, eggs, milk. And so this is just really dismal to read. And every day it feels like the worst day. But Wendy. I've got to say two different things. First off, I bought my sister a car the other day. And when we went to the dealership, the price for used cars that had like 5,000 miles on it was approximately like five to $6,000 more than a brand new car. So we ended up getting her a brand new car because the cost was more affordable. I just, I know that the, and I'm trying to segue this into how that impacts inflation. The, the secondary market for cars is absolutely crazy. People do not want to take out loans to purchase cars. And you can actually, like if you were able to buy a car a couple of years ago, 
you're actually able to sell it and make profit, which is kind of bizarre. And I'm trying to figure out how that ties into inflation, but kind of back to Will's point is that when we're talking about the, the interest rates in the 80s, um, how they, for the, for the housing market, how are they, they were close to 20%, the wages were also a lot different and also the cost of living was a lot different. So you were actually able to afford a, like an apartment or whatnot for approximately $300 in LA County. And the price to purchase a home, I think, was about $100,000, $150,000. So I don't know if continuing to raise interest rates are going to actually do anybody any good because you won't be able to buy a house, especially with the home prices here in California. In LA County, I think a starter home is like five hundred dollars or $600,000. And I can't, can you imagine that with a 14% interest rate? In a not good part of town, too, to get something like that. Yeah. yeah my old I mean, home. there's... We're going to have to move on in just a second, but there's there's a lot to say here. So let me just say that, you know, uh, so much of what's going on right now kind of in the world and in the economy is driven by monetary policy, which is why all of this stuff matters. And monetary policy is presented as the solution. And it's also then sort of shielded as the responsible party for why we're in the particular situation that we're in. But that's really what it comes down to, is that whenever you're looking at any of these things, no matter what kind of statistics we're talking about, and, you know, on Friday, when we talked about the, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics numbers that were out, we also talked about how, although the headline figures that they were showing us showed that the economy was growing very strongly, if you actually looked at the data, what you would see is that people lost full-time jobs in net terms, people lost part-time jobs in net term, and the only category that grew was people who had more than one job with the number of people who were working full-time hours at more than one job you know, reaching an all-time record high. So like, these are not strong numbers. These are numbers that are being massaged to make us feel better about the situation that we're in by people who are responsible for delivering results. But in reality, all they can do whenever they try to fix anything is cause distortions in the market. And those distortions then ripple through. They cause problems like the ones you're seeing in, in you know, housing and the ones that you're seeing in the used car market. That all has to do with the too cheap availability of money and all of the problems that that causes. And it's very likely, in my opinion, that cars are going to actually enter a market where it's severely depressed because of the dynamics where you're going to have lots of borrowers who are defaulting on this stuff. We have to move on to Charlie Munger now. He had some comments about this stuff too. But you know, on the one hand, it's bad. And on the other hand, at least they're failing in ways that are increasingly hard for us to ignore. I think that that means that the chance of something really changing is, is a little bit better than otherwise might be. But that's all for now. Next up, we've got Charlie Munger. <laughs> of, of course, we have to talk about this adorable gentleman over here, Mr. Charlie Munger. The American billionaire says that he'll never touch crypto. Munger is a VP of Berkshire Hathaway and right-hand man of Warren Buffet, Buffett, whatever. The and if you Warren <laughs> Buffet, <laughs> Wendy, we need to just stop there. Like I'm hungry. Okay, I haven't twist. <laughs> I need a croissant. I haven't eaten breakfast this morning. Um, but if you guys don't know, Mr. Warren <laughs> said he wouldn't spend $25 on all the Bitcoin in the world. Well, we know that these two fantastic boomers are just quite silly. Let's read a couple quotes from this manifesto, this, this document from Charlie. I think anybody <laughs> that sells this stuff is, <laughs> is either delusional or evil. I won't touch the crypto. <laughs> I think that anybody that's are not interested in undermining the national currencies of the world, he says, calls crypto a big folly and that the best approach for it is to avoid it. This is hilarious for me because he comes from an era where they didn't even have fax machines and where people are bowing down to Mr. Warren and Mr. Charlie. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't think anybody should take what they say too seriously. I guess I want to toss this off to, to Will for his, his snarky comments here. 
No, I'm going to give you guys like the devil's advocate here because that's also pretty fun. Like, there's plenty <laughs> of snarky comments to make about these two guys. With we we trot out their comments probably once a month on the show, at least every three months, and they're very similar, right? And we always bring out like the fact that they've invested in Coca-Cola, which has done huge amounts of damage to the U.S. population with the amounts of like sugar and those sort of diet drinks. It's like you compare crypto and you say crypto is evil, yet the investments you make are actually hurting Americans on a statistical basis. But I think there is some questions we should ask about what they're making here. And and that's definitely around how these older generations are investing their money and where that money is going to go towards in the future. A lot of people in the baby boomer generation or further up the stack, they're not investing in crypto and they have not. They've invested in equities, they've invested in bonds, they've invested in housing. And right now we're seeing really high prices for all those things, but we're also seeing interest rates creep up, which is going to decrease the value of those assets. At the same time, crypto is only growing year over year. It might be down right now, 70% since November, but that was a peak to trough drop during a bull to a bear cycle. Crypto is growing year over year over the last 10 years, and it's going to continue to grow. So the wealth transfer is definitely interesting here because I would take Charlie Munger's thoughts and say we could apply it to most people in his generation and probably going down a little bit as well. I say those people are not investing in crypto. So how does crypto continue to fulfill its place as becoming some sort of money system if a lot of these assets are not being turned into crypto or these assets are not going to be uh, like based in crypto in some sort of way? It's a really interesting and like thought-provoking question. I think long-term, it doesn't matter too much because we can see adoption happening right now, regardless, all over the world in different places. But it is an important question as a lot of these generations start moving onward and their wealth moves into different people's hands. Adam, I'm going to throw it up to you for your take. Yeah, so I'm going to take the opportunity here to uh, throw out one of my favorite quotes from author Douglas Adam uh, on our relationship to technology. First, anything that is in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and is just a natural part of the way the world works. Second, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary and you can probably get a career in it. And third, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. I think that we see a lot of truth in that type of thing. And it has to do with where is a person in their life relative to the opportunities that are available to them. Uh, And you see, you know, these octogenarians you know, like uh, very, very older investors who have been very successful in earlier sort of uh, iterations of the market who are part of the status quo. And again, like I think the, the giveaway in the, the comment that we quoted uh, was he's talking about the U.S. financial system and he's talking about the U.S. financial system and the incredible privilege that the U.S. dollar has because he very much benefits from the way that things are. And so any disruption that would come would be necessarily a disruption to something he has very well optimized. But if you look around the world, that doesn't affect most people. The situation that Charlie Munger's in is pretty unique, relatively speaking, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a small class of people who are certainly happy. But the question is, should we be basing our financial system on the needs of this incredibly small minority who are very happy with the way that things are and make tons of money from it? Or is it better to create a system that actually utilizes technology to create functional alternatives that actually solve the problem uh, in a way that's much more comprehensive for the vast majority of people while simultaneously decentralizing the responsibility out amongst all those people as well. Well, clearly, I have my opinions. We have our opinions on here and the billionaire class has their opinions. So I'm okay being on the non-billionaire side of this conversation, but I definitely think it's uh, it's an interesting trend we'll continue to watch. Jen? Yeah, so we're talking about this generation, but I want to point out that there are a lot of people who are part of younger generations that agree 
with what's being said here. So that quote, I think anybody that sells this stuff is either delusional or evil. I won't touch crypto, right? I'm casting right now for a show that's focused on Bitcoin. It's focusing on people from all walks of the Bitcoin journey. And I've spoken to a lot of younger people our age and younger who share this opinion. They think Bitcoin and crypto are scams. And the reason that they think this is because they're getting all of these phishing scams on on traditional social media. So on Instagram, on Twitter, they've said to me, you know, I keep getting these DMs and all the DMs are trying to get my information and there's some kind of negotiation that they want to enter into. And it always has Bitcoin and crypto. And so while we're talking about this for like older people who maybe don't get it, it is trickling down into younger generations. And and I think that's backed by all the scams and the hacks that we see in mainstream media and just comes back to education. I think all of us here realize that there is something there. It is an investment in the underlying technology and, and a whole bunch of products that are, are being created on top of this technology. But that education has to be here to change the minds of people who haven't gotten there yet. And we're still very early. But Wendy, I'll pass it back up to you. I guess my final thoughts on this are to hear what the mainstream media says, listen to what it says, but then take that piece of information and continue to do your own due diligence and utilize critical thinking. Because at the end of the day, these people got rich from investing in probably risky items way back in their time, back in the olden days. So just because the market has changed and things have shifted, you know, the idea should change along with that and the way that we invest should change along with it. So I think it's important to kind of separate opinions and continue to do research on that. I disagree. Right. Critical gonna... thinking doesn't matter. It's all good. Yeah. We should <laughs> just go eat donuts today instead. Web3 Studio <laughs> Toonstar is partnering with Hot Topic for entertainment NFTs. Toonstar co-produces The Gimmicks, which is a show being created by Mila Kunis. It's an NFT animated show that allows audiences to participate in the storytelling. Now they're partnering with retail chain Hot Topic to provide Web3 experiences for their original projects and products. Separately, Tony Hawk, remember that guy, is launching the biggest ever metaverse skate park in the sandbox. I love these metaverse stories because everything is the first ever, the biggest ever, and a lot of times it is the only and so that's kind of funny to me. Wendy, I'm going to toss it up to you. We spoke yesterday about NFT projects being launched during the bear market. It seems like a lot of celebrities and big names in the entertainment world are launching projects during, during the bear. What do you think about that? Is that a good strategy? It kind of depends who it is, and it depends who you have as PR and marketing. I know a lot of people that I have talked to on the back end, they have put things on hold for the time being. And these are some pretty, pretty big names. And I am under NDA. Sorry, guys. But overall... I'm going to tell you guys this right now. NFTs, metaverse, play to earn, all of this type of stuff, especially the projects that are utilizing like IP rights and licensing rights and merchandising rights. Those are the projects that you want to follow this cycle, this bear market and this bear cycle. And the reason why is I think that that's going to, those are going to be the play. I'm not going to tell you which ones I think are going to be the play, but I highly recommend that you just at least follow these and you start educating yourself on these now, how this works, and you will do immensely well in the next bull run. I'll snag it. I don't know much about this Mila Kunis thing and breeding it was just a buzzword soup salad of a million different <laughs> NFT projects. So it's a little confusing, Yummy but soup. I'm happy to see that she's still, yeah, she's still in the game, right? Mila Kunis is still out there in the NFT world. She's getting a little worried because uh, it's been bad market conditions and we hadn't heard her name in a headline for a little bit. So that's comforting. The Tony Hawk thing's also pretty cool and it makes sense, right? You want to have some sort of like 
gaming experience with these metaverse projects. I think to date, we've seen a lot of people just try to make it like a lifestyle thing. Like we have this metaverse project, you can wear your Gucci bag and your Nike shoes in the metaverse and you can walk around and that's about it, right? So we haven't had much, but this project seems like you can go play a game, you can go do something, you can interact with other people. Basically just bringing gaming into the metaverse, which I think is a winning strategy going forward if the metaverse continues to be a thing a lot of people think it is going to be. It's much like the NFTs that are working with sports leagues, right? I'm a big fan of whatever sports team. I want to collect their NFTs. They're going to have some sort of demand. It doesn't have a lot of utility. It just has a lot of demand because there's a sports team behind it. I think for the same thing for Metaverse, we're going to see games get involved with it. And then people will be attracted to the Metaverse because I, I can go play my favorite game there. Jen, I'll throw it to you. I just want to clear some, some things up for our audience. So the partnership is between uh, Toonstar and Hot Topic, the retail clothing store. And they're bringing Web3 and NFTs to Hot Topic, which will include some of the NFTs around Mila Kunis's project. Adam, mm. up to you. Yeah, so there's a couple of things here. Uh, first off, on the metaverse side of this thing, you know, crypto is defined by these beaconing moments where a thing happens, it then sends up sort of a flare into the atmosphere, and then a bunch of people who weren't aware of what was going on before now are aware of what's going on, and they start building projects, raising money, starting companies that are going to do these types of things. Now, that's definitely something that's happened with Metaverse. Metaverse, in my opinion, is an incredibly immature area uh, kind of of technology. The you know, type of walking simulator experiences and you know, the like sell property first and then figure out you know, what the game is, if there's a game at all. Like That strikes me as something that's very kind of crypto-native approach to doing Metaverse. But I can tell you that like dozens and dozens of these projects are in the works that we have never heard of to this point. And which over the course of the next two years, I expect maybe 40% of them to actually see the light of day. The rest will probably just fail before they even get anywhere. But that will introduce new high fidelity elements into the technology that we have not yet seen in these projects. And so my expectation is that it's either games on the one side or it's a really good virtual reality experience on the other side. If they solve hardware problems around virtual reality hardware, then I think that that could also be a big kind of kick for it. My last comment is just on the, uh, the hot topic uh, connection into all of this. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I feel really old uh, when we talk about Hot Topic. I went to the mall to get uh, a TSA pre-check a couple of months ago, and I saw my first Hot Topic in like 10 years. And I went inside for a second, and it was still Nightmare Before Christmas, just like it was when I yeah. was in high school back in the early 2000s. It's ridiculous. Dude, what I the felt heck? the same way reading the story. I was like, Hot Topic? What? Apparently, malls There's... still exist, and there are still Hot Topics there. The thing about mm -hmm. Hot Topic is love it or hate it, they've actually sustained and they've been able to do things properly and sustain as a brand. People still don't know who they are. I do remember the very early days of Hot Topic when it was actually scary to go in there. It was very gothic. Um, but now it's more kind of fun. There's a little bit more colors, but it's it's still dark. But, you know, shout out it's to Hot Topic for being around. Really quick question <laughs> for Jen. Yeah. Why is it like these projects or these companies are dying that are jumping on NFT things, right? GameStop, trying to do a total pivot into NFT land. Hot topic. Haven't thought of them in a quick second. Why are they getting involved with this? LimeWire. You know what? I actually thought about that when I was reading, reading the story. And I think it's, I don't know if I can say hot topic is dying first. I know we can say GameStop, you know, had their, wow. had their issues. I'm not sure the state of hot topic. I think Lime for a company that's been around for a long time, they've <laughs> probably been 
thinking behind the scenes, like we need to do something and they haven't really been able to pinpoint what that something is. And I think right now it's very clear that all of the big brands they're looking to, like the Disney's, the Sony's, the large retail brands, they're all pivoting to Web3 and Metaverse strategies. So it's a really easy, tangible thing for them to say, okay, we're going to take this old thing that's been around for a long time. It's been slowly dying. And we're going to try this really new thing that everyone is investing into. I think that's where it is. I don't know. Wendy, do you have any final thoughts on that? I just think they're utilizing it as a hedge, like a marketing hedge to see if like if it ends up taking off and it's going to bring them revenue. And I think it's a good and I think it's a smart idea. If I was in charge of a brand, I would highly recommend to my clients to get, you know, to know, learn about Web3, learn about Metaverse, learn about NFTs and see how that fits in. And just try it because it might take off. It might not. And if you don't try, how will you know if you're going to make revenue or not? And we're talking about I them. I mean, like, that's enough yeah. in and of itself. True. Yeah, marketing. <laughs> For you, free. Yeah. An audience member For might go free. to Hot Topic right after the show now. So worked out, right? Let's turn over to Vitalik. Talk about proof of stake. So Vitalik Buterin, who is the co-founder of Ethereum and one of the leading scientists for the project, gave a little snide comment back to Jimmy Song, who's a Bitcoin evangelist and programmer around the topic of proof of work versus proof of stake. There's been a debate going back and forth for, I don't know how long, 10 years at this point almost, about the uh, ways proof of stake works, how it is influenced by people on the network, and whether or not it's a security or not. So a uh, editor at Swan Bitcoin wrote a tweet that Vitalik also chimed in on saying that Ethereum was classified as a security because stakers on the network are able to vote on changes to the network itself. Vitalik chimed back and said, no, that's not true. In proof of work, you can also do this. Therefore, it's not a security. And in fact, this whole classification is just very misguided and part of the Bitcoin maxi dogma. Adam, I want to throw this one up to you. Maybe give us like a little look back on proof of work versus proof of stake for those who are also interested. But be curious to get your thoughts on Vitalik's clapback, if you will. Yeah, I mean, the kind of off the cuff remarks that I have about it is that this is professional wrestling and we're both witnessing people who are professional wrestlers, you know, in the Jimmy Song and Vitalik, uh, you know, types of confrontations. And then we're also witnessing uh, people who are professional wrestling fans who can't really tell the difference between kind of what's performative and what isn't, uh, you know, then getting involved themselves too. A lot of these things, again, like these are teams that people align themselves with ideologically and they both have advantages. They both have disadvantages. Those advantages at this point and disadvantages are pretty well known. But a lot of times these conversations aren't really about the technicals. These conversations are more about, hey, that other guy's team, look at this dumb thing they're doing, right? You're not really talking to the other guy. You're talking to your team. You're talking to the people who are watching you then say something bad about the other guy. So again, whenever you're looking at stories on Twitter, nine times out of 10, that's the actual story here. Dude says something mean about somebody he's not talking to so that the people who follow him then talk about, oh man, look how bad that guy got burned. And then it kind of can devolve from there. Now, as far as proof of work versus proof of stake are concerned, these are just different ways to maintain consensus. And consensus really is just how do we keep track of who owns what stuff in a particular system, right? Proof of stake has some significant advantages, but it also has, uh, in terms of it doesn't use any electricity and it has a better environmental profile, but that does come at a cost of maintaining a lot of the pre-blockchain type of consensus structures where you have the people who have the money who then collectively determine what is truth and what is not truth. 
which is different from uh, from uh, like a, a consensus system that uses proof of work. A uh, consensus system that uses proof of work doesn't require you to have stake in the existing network. It just requires you to to sort of do the work uh, in order to maintain the network. And you can do that just with hardware without actually buying a stake in the system. And there are some other, there are a lot of other kind of things as well. But really, it's that it's kind of the ideology of the thing, and mostly it's the I'm invested in this thing. Ergo, anybody who's on the other side is my enemy because I view this as a zero sum game, which typically I do not. Wendy. Two things. First off, tribalism is stupid to me. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. You're not doing anybody any good. All you're doing is closing your mind out and you're blocking a blessing. Because honestly, if you sit down and you talk to somebody with a difference of opinion of you, you don't have to agree. You don't have to be best friends after that, but at least you're opening your mind and seeing a different perspective and engaging in some sort of constructive criticism or feedback or whatever it is. Last thing I want to say about this is when we're talking about cryptocurrency, we're talking about whether we need to classify it as a security or commodity or whatever that is. I feel like those definitions may need to be modified to some extent to incorporate cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, whether it's POW or proof of stake, whatever it is, because a lot of these definitions that we have from 1934 or whenever they were put into place are a lot different to what the current state of the market is. We didn't have a lot of those technologies then. So labeling them as something that was that might wasn't created when you created the definitions just doesn't make sense to me. And I wanted to leave it at that. Yeah, I was going to go on a rant about the Howey test, but we've been saved by the bell. So I think we'll just leave it there. More on proof of work and proof of stake uh, another day. I'm going to go to Hot Topic later. I don't know about about you guys. This has been The Hash. Thank you everyone for watching on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening, you're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network, lots of other great podcasts there. So check us out. And us four, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 